The Stalk Talks podcast brings you intelligent discussions of topical issues inspired by the international city of peace and justice. I think we all know what we need to do. Problems, they come like a costume. They fit you. Remove our inner critic and open our inner, you know, curiosity. You know, nothing speaks louder than money. Walk in, slam your fist on the table, so... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Something has to change. Welcome back to another episode of Stalk Talks. I'm Zoe. And I'm Tom. King's Day is almost upon us. It's one of the largest, most exuberantly celebrated holidays on the Dutch calendar. Here at Stalk Talks, we decided to dig a little deeper into the history of this Dutcher than Dutch day and to also take a small detour on the way. Absolutely. King's Day is a special day for the Netherlands. I think it's unlikely that one will ever see a greater collection of orange-clad folks all in one place than on King's Day. We also love to play all sorts of hilarious, silly games and return to our roots by becoming pavement shopkeepers for the day. But I think King's Day is about more than these outward signs of frolics and fun. The Netherlands has only had a monarch for a relatively short term compared to other European nations like the UK and Spain. Well, exactly, Tom. So this is fascinating to me because the name suggests a celebration of the monarchy. And yet the Netherlands was a republic for a long, long time beforehand. And it was also during this time, of course, that we have the Dutch Golden Age. So with this in mind, we invited art historian of Casa del Arte, Wendy Fossen, to tell us a little bit about a female portrait painter who captured three generations of the Dutch royal family on canvas and was celebrated by the Uffizi Gallery in Italy, Teresa Sfatza. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you, Zoe and Tom. Glad to be here. It's, it's an absolute delight to have you back. And we're happy because on top of being a Dutch person that celebrates King's Day, you, we are, of course, are the art historian that's going to be with us for our little detour. Perhaps you can start, Wendy, by filling our audience in on a little of the history and the origins of King's Day, which was previously known as Queen's Day and even Prinsessendag. Yeah, that's that's correct. It's a very long history. And as you already said in your introduction, it's the day that we celebrate our monarch. And that could either be a queen or a king, hence Queen's Day or King's Day. And what we then do is we have all these local festivities, as you already explained, where we will be lying out our, our leftover toys and clothes that we don't want to wear anymore on the free market. And those are all the, the, the local activities. But we also have this nationwide activity each year and another Dutch city is celebrate is, is asked to host the celebrations and then the royal family joins in in all these silly games and it's the entire family I mean it's like not only the king and the queen and their daughters but like their cousins and, and aunts and uncles and whoever feels like joining so it's a very low profile well it's a high profile thing but it's a very informal thing so you can you can touch them if you want and if you get the opportunity then because where are they do they move around to these different cities no it's it's just one city this year it's Eindhoven and each year there it's a different city and they host these celebrations and then in it's it's like when Sinterklaas arrives in the country that that is also hosted by a different city each year and it's it's a great way as a city to expose yourself nationally to show you know what you're 
main businesses, in what things you excel. Uh, and of course, it, it's so much fun. Where do the king and queen fit in? I mean, do they visit that city and then do they join in just randomly join in festivities there or how exactly does that happen of course it's high security so it mm. there is this route that they walk through the city carefully planned yeah so it's not like a spontaneous thing okay let's go this way let's go that way no they they just follow the route <laughs> <laughs> you might just bump into them and having a beer who, who knows yeah having a beer exactly but you know it's something which is incomparable to other countries and to other monarchies. I mean, can you imagine Queen Elizabeth or Prince Charles walking around? No, I, I think it's fair to say it's more informal here in the in the Netherlands. Exactly. And and considering, you know, the history, because Tom also said Princessedag and Queen's Day. Well, of course, we now have a king, so hence it will be King's Day. But since 1948, so more than my life, I mean, I'm from 68, so it's like forever it has been on the 30th of April. And uh, since we had queens at the time, so Queen Juliana and Queen Beatrice, it was always Queen's Day. So it took a while for people to get used to the King's Day thing. And also, uh, it was very annoying because it only moved three days because it's celebrating the birthday of the monarch. So Alexander William Alexander's birthday is on the 27th of April and his grandmother's was on the 30th of April. So when she became queen in 1948, it moves from the 25th of August, which was her mother's birthday, to the 30th of April. But still, you know, very a good time, relatively okay with the weather. But when Beatrice became queen in 1980, she has her birthday on the 31st of January. So no way that you can have all these festivities outdoors. So she decided to stick with her mother's birthday. So that's why we have two generations of queens having their kind of birthday on the 30th of April. But Willem Alexander has his birthday on the 27th. So he just said, okay, we'll make it Queen's Day or King's Day and we're going to move it three days, which was a silly thing, I think. But anyway. I, I thought that it was going to stay on that one day. Yeah, that's what I thought and hoped. I, I think the, the best part is that if it sometimes if it falls on a Sunday, we also move it to the Saturday. So, so basically it doesn't really matter whether it's the exact birthday as long as we can move it to a day that is suitable for us and to celebrate it, basically. To have a party. Yeah, yeah that, that's true. That's true. Maybe we can move on a little bit. You are an art historian and, of course, you're familiar with the work of a 19th century Dutch painter, Teresa Svatser. Now, she was an extremely successful portrait painter who ran a very lucrative family business in Amsterdam and became so famous that the Uffizi Gallery in Italy commissioned a self-portrait of her. And I think you'll show that to us in a, in a minute. I mean, what's interesting about her is she also painted portraits of the royal family. And perhaps you can tell us what can we credit her success to, given the fact that women in these days seldom had the opportunity to train and work as professional artists. Well, I think the most important thing is that she came from a artistic family. I mean, her father, George Schwarze, was a painter and also her sister. She was a sculptor and also her niece, the, the daughter of her sister, became a very famous painter, Lizzie Anzing. So we have Therese Schwarze, Georgina Schwarze and Lizzie Anzing, both from the same family, basically, who became very, very famous and very successful. And all of them were women. And that largely has to do with the fact that they came from an artistic family. 
when she was 15, she had her first commissions already for portraits of like famous Amsterdam families, the Van Loons, for instance. And she would continue painting them for a number of years. And when her father died, she took over the business, the family business. Perhaps particularly we could just focus on her work for the for the royal family, because I believe this is also, of course, something that must have helped her gain a lot of recognition. Yeah, it it did. Uh, The group portrait of the royal family is a group portrait of the family, which is Wilhelmina and Hendrik and Juliana. So Juliana is the queen that became queen in 1948. And Wilhelmina and her husband are, are dressed here in 17th century clothes. And they're depicted in front of this huge fireplace with a, a large painting in the back depicting a warship, I think it is, with the Dutch flag. And there's also a little dash hound, I think you call it in English. Yes, yes which is probably uh, one of their pets. Uh, So it it very much looks as if this is a 17th century portrait, but it isn't, but it's in 17th century style. And you can find it on display in Palais at Lowe, and it's part of the royal collections. Why would they have chosen to be painted in the 17th century style? They probably wanted to step in the footsteps of uh, other uh, famous in this case, stadtholders in the 17th century, Frederick Hendrik and Amalia von Zoms, who were the first stadthouders who actually made a step on the social ladder by marrying off their children to royalty. Their son, William II, married Mary Stuart I, and their son, William III, married Mary Stuart II. So from then on, from Frederick Hendrik and Amalia von Soms, from then on, they were part of, say, the royal families in, in Europe. And As you said, we're only a monarchy for about 200 years now. So it was like a a huge step when we got the possibility as as part of geopolitics to become a monarchy in in 1813. Okay, so we have already touched on the the issue of the Golden Age for the the Netherlands, but it does seem, well, perhaps as an art historian, perhaps you can explain a little more to us about how this Golden Age took place before the monarchy is do you think there is something in that it seems uh, something of a paradox but this is quite an interesting historical phenomenon that the the monarchy only came in later and this golden age happened quite a little bit beforehand yeah well it, it's to, to explain that in just a few words is very difficult because it's all about you know european politics it all starts with the fact that the spanish empire is overtaking the netherlands and that the netherlands become increasingly independent and william of orange then decides to take up the, the spanish in a revolution and that results in the 80 years war which is raving all over europe and for the netherlands specifically it's it's quite curious that you during this period of 80 years war you also have this golden age so it's kind of a a, a contrast and it, it can only be explained by the fact that the, the dutch have always been merchants and travelers and you know that's one of the reasons why we speak english and the rest of the world doesn't speak dutch that's one of the things that that is is a result of that and the, the wealth of the dutch it all began with with trading in the late 16th century of, of cheese and and milk you know that's basically what was traded and then they started trading with uh, Scandinavia for for all, all kinds of other products and it wasn't until 1604 that the Dutch East Indies Company was, was founded and then 1621 the the West Indies Company was founded and then mm. they started trading all over 
the world, basically, uh, at the expense of the Spanish and the Portuguese. So that's why you get all these wars. So, and of course, the French and the English were very upset about it and wanted to get part of their trade. So, you know, it's, it's really difficult to explain in a few words. I think like um, the, the pleasure with which you talk history is unprecedented to some extent. Um, what I like is because, of course, we, this episode is about King's Day. And when we speak about the monarchy, you just explain a little bit of where it came from, where it originated from. But I, I think one topic that we are we also wanted to talk about is more of a future perspective. So we have recently witnessed the passing, of course, of Prince Philip in the UK, husband of Queen Elizabeth II. And many see this as an, an, yeah, the end of an era of the British monarchy. So the question that we had was, uh, do you think that the Dutch monarchy will continue to enjoy the, the Dutch support of the public or uh, will that will that change in the future? No, I think I think the support will remain. I mean, they still have a function. Of course, there are many people who are more Republican than than fans of the monarchy. But as long as they don't do anything really stupid, I think people will condone them and say, okay, well, you know, it's it's like a PR means, basically, because, you know, you go to other countries and you meet other royalty and then in their wake, you see all these commercial activities and it's just, you know, paving the way for business, basically. So from a business point of view, I would say keep the monarchy. And, you know, I'm I'm a fan of the of the Orange family, even though there is also doubt about whether they're actually real. But that's an entirely different. That seems like a very interesting cliffhanger, uh, Wendy. I don't know where exactly it happened, but you you know that they've been trying to figure out uh, whether the bones that they found in Russia are actually of the royal family. And you need DNA from members of the royal families across Europe uh, to figure out who's who. King William II was married to Anna Pavlona, who was of royal descent. So basically, that DNA you would have to find in our current monarchs. But they have refused to donate DNA. Why why do you think that is, Wendy? Do they have something to hide? You know, sometimes you want to get to the bottom of things because you want to find out the why and how. But in this case, I think people just kind of know in the background that maybe somewhere along the line. But do we want to know? Does it matter? Well, it's a it's a fantasy, really, isn't it? Right. The whole thing is kind of a fantasy thing. And as I said, as long as they're, they're not doing anything really, really stupid, then it's fine by me. I don't really need to know. I'm curious whether a lot of other listeners or, or people who, who sort of feel the same way about their monarch is the Dutch, like a very a sort of sober perspective to say, well, as long as they bring in money, then we're fine. You know, they, they can coexist. And as long as they bring in more than they cost, you know, then, then we're happy for them to continue. I think the, the UK has had this discussion as well. And I think there are people in the UK who would like to see the end of the monarchy. And their argument is that, yes, they do bring in money, but they also spend and own an incredible eye-watering amount of property. That, that is the case in the UK, but I, I suspect that this is not the same for the Dutch monarchy. Well, they, they of course, they have like all these palaces and huge collections, but I, I'm, I'm not very much informed about the whole financial side of it. They, they do get an, a state allowance for the things that they do state-wise, but they do own a lot of stuff, of course. 
But then again, it's there's a whole economy around it as well. I mean, uh, looking again at the at the British monarchy, if you just abolish them and you know say, okay, you here you have a bag full of money and you hand over all your property and all your art. I mean, <laughs> just talk about the art collection. That's amazing, but. One of the one of the souvenirs that you buy when you go to London is this little Elizabeth with sh- her shaking head or something like that, or a mug or whatever. That would cave in entirely when you abolish the monarchy. So perhaps it would be filled by by something else. Perhaps there would be become indeed. like would different bobbing heads or Boris Johnson. I, I'm, I'm not sure if it would be Boris Johnson, but yeah. To be fair, I don't think they're ever going to abolish it, but I think to reduce it, maybe I, I do think. I think I see even in Spain and the and and the Netherlands, we see the monarchy as a bit more modest and more in keeping with modern times. But in the UK, they still it's it's extreme, and and I think that's where quite a lot of people feel it's a bit much. Well, I think we've we've discussed that in some depth, but I I'd like us to bring us back our, our focus onto King's Day itself. Uh, so perhaps we can finish off for both Wendy and Tom as uh, as bona fide Dutch nationals to ask you both, how are you going to celebrate King's Day and uh, what does it mean to you? So perhaps maybe Tom, we can start with you if you're more from the younger generation and then we'll hear from Wendy who's a little bit from an older generation. I'm just interested to hear if there's a, a generational difference in perspective. It's it's a very two-sided question. So let's say, what what am I doing for for King's Day this year? Um, I was in contact with a friend of mine who does some work at the Royal Palace, and she told me about uh, the the streamers concept that is happening. Unfortunately, because with the current situation, everything is still online. So I will be enjoying some of the music and some of the festivities online, but simultaneously, I hope to be out and about here in the Hague and and see if there are still some flea markets, some socially distanced flea markets that are out and about. But what King's Day means to me, and, and my, perhaps my favorite experiences from King's Day come from uh, my hometown, uh, Duisburg, a very small town where we would have, well, where I would stand at the flea markets and try to sell everything by the end of the day, and then use that money to play games that would also be set up around the town. So there would be games where you've had to try and whistle after eating a number of very, like the, the tea biscuits that dry your mouth out, which... Basically, you could never win that game or there would be some games where you had to put in a little candy into a tube, which was non-transparent or you couldn't see through it. So what happens is it comes out on the other end. You have to time it whether and then hit it with the hammer at the bottom. So for, for me, like those, those little games and then the, the, the sporting days at school for me, that's that's what King's Day is. Those are your memories. Yeah, yeah. My, my memories of King's Day. Yeah. Uh, Wendy, how about you? Well, the games haven't changed. (laughs) (laughs) That's reassuring. Yeah. And one of the things that you also do was uh, koekhappen, which is like uh, ontbijtkoek, you know, like the sticky gingerbread kind of thing. Uh, And that's hung a a cord and you're blindfolded and your hands tied around (laughs) your back and then you have to you know, like bite it off from the from the cord. But anyway, that's that's the kind of stuff that um, that I also. Yeah. Do you know where it came from? Where that comes from, Wendy? Because I have no clue. No, but that's an interesting thing. I'll I'll have a look into that and I'll okay. I'll, I'll let you know when I find it. But I don't know. As for you know, you normally it's just enjoying the day off and on a, on a normal day, non-corona year, I would go to the flea market but usually they're so crowded now these days that 
uh, I usually refrain from going or I go later in the afternoon but still you know it's something which is which draws a lot of people which is good because mm-hmm. then at least the people so I've never come around because I'm from The Hague and you know each year I kind of think okay especially when the children were little uh, we're going to do it this year but then the, the weather forecast was really bad or it was cold or raining because you have to lie out all night in order to get a good spot so you know oh wow <laughs> Who knew? Who knew there was such competition? Yeah, well, here at the Frederick Hendrikland, it's just, you know. I people. saw that one year. Yeah. So it's, you have to spend the whole night there. And so, so I never bothered doing that. And this year I'm actually working. I'm giving a lecture on the Oranje Zaal, which is one of the highlights of Houstenbosch, which is, of course, a royal palace here, uh, just on the outskirts of the, of the Hague. Right. And how about yourself? Uh, I'm going to wander around and see see what I can find, Wendy. I have to say, but I think from a, from an expat perspective, I think we tend to associate King's Day or, or Queen's Day more with King's Night. Uh, so certainly, when I first got to the Netherlands, it was more about going out the the night before. That, that I, th- I think for many expats, that 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 is how they see it. And and the flea markets and the games, I think, are perhaps less less well known if you're not a native Dutch. So I think for all of our listeners, whichever of these three options that have been presented sounds the most appealing to you is as they are all available, whether you'd like to go drinking on King's Night, uh, visit and join Wendy for an art tour of the Oranjezaal or uh, join me in the flea markets and the games. Uh, the, each of the options are available uh, on King's Day. Um, and I think we're, we're slowly rounding up. And with that, we want to thank uh, you, Wendy, for a, a fascinating conversation about both art and King's Day. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And that if people want to know more about uh, your work, they can find that, of course, on your website, uh, the tours that you do and organize at uh, www.casadelarte.nl. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll also post that in the, the, the show notes for people to find there. Okay, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us, Wendy. And for our audience, please stay tuned for uh, another episode at the same time next week. And also remember, of course, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Uh, anchor and now as we've said youtube so and again i'll just reiterate what tom said if you do want to see some of those visuals that wendy described for us uh take a look at the youtube channel and you'll see them all there one last addition we are still ongoing with the uh, giveaways so there's still some giveaways going on we have a giveaway with uh, from the house of honing from a few time and we'll have one as well from an episode we're doing next week stay tuned and have a great king's day